Good evening. It's good to see everybody out tonight. There's uh, several occasions in scriptures when uh, when Jesus goes to the mountaintop, or somebody goes to the mountaintop, and God gives some revelation, and they bring it back down. And so hopefully I'm going to give you a mountaintop experience tonight. In Mount Sinai, on Mount Sinai, back in Exodus chapter 19 through 2017, uh, Moses went up to Mount Sinai and brought the Ten Commandments down. If you remember, uh, when Moses was leaving out of Egypt, he's, they, uh, God said to him, uh, I'm going to take you to the land that I've promised you. When you get there, you're not going to do as the uh, Canaanites do. You're not going to do as the Egyptians do because you're my people and you're called by my name. And so you're going to do as I command you to do, and he receives the Ten Commandments. Uh, well, we know there's a significant purpose in the law, and uh, the law is a tutor which leads us to Christ, and it wasn't sufficient for uh, salvation. It just told us that there was more that was needed. Salvation come from outside of ourselves because within we were unable to keep the law. Uh, well, when we get to uh, Matthew chapter 5, it's, uh, it shows that he's up on the mountain again. And so let's read verses, verses well, let's just read verse 1. He says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat, sat down, his disciples came to him, and then he began uh, to preach and to teach, and that's the start of his ministry uh, with the Sermon on the Mount. And so I'm going to give you an overview, kind of an overview. We're going to follow the theme of authority uh, through Matthew's uh, gospel. Now, they warn, warn you in seminary uh, to watch using your family as an illustration. Uh, but I tease my wife quite often about this, and so I thought it would be good for y'all to get to know her and us by telling a little story. Uh, but when I first married her, she leased a Cherokee Jeep fully loaded with uh, with four-wheel drive and all this extra stuff, had all of this power at her hands, and I don't think she ever, she told me she used the four-wheel drive once. I, I have yet to see it. Uh, but she had all of that all that power, all of that authority, even when I came down south. So well, I should say I am a southerner because I'm from, I'm from Maryland, and the Mason-Dixon line cuts off right there between Maryland and Pennsylvania. I'm a front-line southerner. I kept on going. Y'all stayed back. Uh, but I am, a, I am a southerner, but I live up there and it snows. And so there's, there's good reason to have four-wheel drive because you might get stuck in the snow. So when I come south and I see everybody riding around in four-wheel drive, I'm like, what do you got four-wheel drive for? There's no need for it down here uh, in, the, in the south. I'm sure you have an argument why you do have four-wheel drive and why you're using it. Uh, but the issue is there's more power there than you need. And we ride around burning gas with these big engines. I mean, you get this Corvette. Uh, you know, it gets probably 10 miles to the gallon, and you could be driving a Prius that gets 50 miles to the gallon. But you drive this nice sports car, and it's way more than you need, right? And so I want to ask ourselves, uh, God has given us his authority, and we have all of this authority at our hands, and are we doing little things, compared to the power and the authority that God has given us. So let's pray, and we'll take a look at the uh, theme of authority in the book of Matthew. Father, we love you, and we thank you for this opportunity to come before you tonight and hear your word. 
And uh, Lord, uh, I am a waiter, like a waiter in a restaurant who goes to the cook and receives the meal and delivers it to the table. I didn't cook it. I didn't prepare it, Lord. It is, it is your meal. It is your food for your people. And I pray, Father, that I, do not, that I deliver it as you have cooked it and that I do not trip and stumble and spill the food and make it unedible. Uh, but, Lord, it rives to the table uh, worthy to be, con- uh, to be eaten by those who will hear the message tonight. And so bless our time together, Father. Don't allow your word to return void. Accomplish your purpose. You saved us to be conformed into your image and likeness. And so I pray, Father, through the message tonight, you will conform us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it is his name that we pray. Amen. Matthew 5, and uh, 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, let's start in uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 and 29, which is the verse that I have in your notes. We come to the end of the Sermon of the Mount. And it says, and the rain fell and the flood came and the winds blow and beat against the, uh, the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as the one who had authority and not as their scribes. Okay, so the first one there, if you want to fill in the outline, God's word is authoritative. God's word is authoritative. All the way through the uh, Sermon on the Mount, God refers back to the Ten Commandments. And he says, you have heard what is said of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that if you lust in your heart, you are an adulterer at heart. So in the Old Testament, they, the uh, uh, Old Testament prophets, they spoke by saying, thus says the Lord, or God has said. They spoke as someone who received the authority from another. But Jesus came spoken as the one who had authority. Authority came from him. And so when When he spoke, he spoke as God, not as someone who received a message from God, but he spoke as God. And so his word is authoritative. Now, in the Gospels, there are 18 to 22 uh, miraculous healings. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8 and 9 records all of the healings of of Jesus Christ, somewhere around around 18. And... uh, so in Matthew chapter 8 through, through 9, we, we want to see there in the second point that God's works are authoritative. Now I want to go over to Luke chapter, Luke chapter 4 because I think it captures this idea a little bit better. And we want to look at verse 36 of Luke chapter 4. It says, and they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and with power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. Now, here's a question for you. Why do you think they were amazed? Because no time before, and I believe no time after, has anybody been given this authority where when they spoke, unclean spirit come out, they would instantly come out. They were amazed because they never saw it before. This was a unique thing in Jesus Christ. They're starting the new covenant. 
They're initiating, God is initiating Jesus Christ as the Messiah and to authenticate his authority, to authenticate his power, God gave him the authority of his word and the authority of his works so that when he spoke with authority, what he said actually came to be at that very moment. Um, over in uh, Matthew chapter 8, you don't have to turn, well, turn back there because we're going to continue on. But uh, he heals a paralytic. And when he heals a paralytic, uh, he says, uh, the, 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 the scribes and Pharisees, well, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, take up your mat and go home. Where the Pharisees say, wait a minute, only God can forgive sins. And so you're, you're uh, speaking blasphemous things because you're claiming that you're God. And he asked the question, what is easier for God? Is it easier to forgive sins or is it easier to heal a paralytic? Well, the answer is, well, God can do either one just as easily. So then he says, so that you will know that I have the power to forgive sins, take up your mat and go home. He immediately takes up his mat and he goes home. Now, the reason why that is, is because we can't see uh, uh, what forgiveness of sin looks like. And so how do we know that Jesus is God and how do we know that he can forgive sins? Because the physical healings that we, were, that we see are pointing to a spiritual truth. If he can raise a paralytic, then he can forgive sins. That's very important. But what we want to see tonight is that there's authority of his word and authority of his works. Now when we get to Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1, it says that he called to him his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Okay, so for number three, God delegates his authority. God delegates his authority. God's word is authoritative. God's works are authoritative. And God delegated his authorities to his disciples and, uh, and he also delegates his authority to the church and to us. We can speak on his behalf by speaking uh, the, word of, the word of God. <clears throat> if we go, go over to Matthew chapter 11, <clears throat> we'll spend a little bit more time on some points than others. But in chapter 11, it says that when Jesus was finished instructing the 12 and went on from there to, to teach and to preach in the cities... Uh, that uh, John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, and he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And so number four... God applies his authority. God applies his authority. Now, John the Baptist was in prison. Remember what John the Baptist was preaching. He was preaching the justice of God. Right? The, the, uh, the axe is at the bottom of the tree, and if you don't bear fruit, he's going to whack it down, he's going to put it in the fire, uh, he's going to make everything right. right? Uh, if, you, if you visit the prisoner, if you, if you feed the homeless... Uh, you do to the least of these, you're doing to me, right? And so here's, here's John the Baptist in prison, and why is he in prison? Because he said that uh, the king should not be sleeping with that woman, 
He was interfering in their marriage, and they, they, stuck him into, they stuck him into the prison. Okay, so he was there for an unjust reason. Here is Jesus, who is supposed to, uh, uh, supposed to rectify all these injustices and bring about his kingdom, and he's on the other side doing something else. And so I'm sure John's sitting there in prison and go, man, did I get this thing wrong? Uh, I'm confused about this. I mean, I'm his cousin, and I, he's right across town, and he hasn't come to the prison to visit me. So he takes his disciples, and he says, go in, in, uh, and find them and find out, is he the one or should we be looking for another? Now, I believe that John the Baptist's disciples got there for a minute, and Jesus knew that he was coming. I'm sure, I mean, he's God, so he knew the reason why he was there. And so he doesn't answer John the Baptist right away, or John the Baptist's disciples right away. He just lets them kind of observe what's going on. And here Jesus is just preaching away. He's healing the sick. He's healing the deaf. He's healing the lame. And then he stops and he turns to the disciples. And he says, go back to John. Tell him what you hear and what you see. What is he hearing and what is he seeing? He's hearing the authority of God's word. And he's seeing the authority of God's works. So when you're in doubt, when you're struggling with something in your life, what does God want you to do? He wants you to rehearse the authority of God's word and the authority of God's works. When we understand that God's word is authoritative, when we understand that God's works are authoritative, our worry and our doubt will subside. It will vanish. It will go away. We have to trust God's word, and we have to trust God's works. And so he gives us an application here in John the Baptist's life. When we come over to, to Matthew chapter 12, we get to verse 14. And in verse 14, it says, But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Okay, this is chapter 12, if you're aware of what's going on uh, with chapter 12, uh, Jesus is saying that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Okay, so up until this time, we hear a lot of preaching and teaching. And uh, even with me, you hear a lot of preaching and teaching. I, I can't remember if it was Martin, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones or whether it was Charles Spurgeon, uh, but one of those great preachers said that the preaching doesn't start until the application begins, right? Just preaching the word is, is, is one thing. I mean, you get to hear it and you understand what it says, and then we go home. But once you start to apply it to your lives, and you know, being from a Baptist church, he said, I hear it quite often where people say, man, pastor, you stepped on my toes tonight, right? Because I started to apply it to your life. Well, Jesus started to apply his words and his works to the Pharisees. Now, that's a dangerous place to be when you start applying it to people's lives because that's when the, the retaliation comes. That's when the resistance comes because I can preach about the lordship of Jesus Christ all day long, but when I say you're responsible to obey what God has said, that's when the rebellious spirit starts to act. And that's exactly what's happening here, in, uh, here with the Pharisees. So God is killed because of his authority. Right? They didn't want his authority. That's, that's, our, that's our main problem. People in the lost world, the reason why they say God doesn't exist, 
Uh, the reason atheists say they don't exist, the reason that agnostics say that you don't really know that there is a God, because once you admit, admit that there is a God, guess what you have to do next? You have to obey God because he's authoritative, right? And so they don't want to admit that Jesus is God. They don't want to admit that Jesus is the Messiah because at that point they have to submit to God. And God was, is killed uh, because of his authority, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 14. Now turn over, there's, there's a lot more uh, about his authority that we can go to. But in Matthew chapter 22, excuse me, 28, we know it's the, uh, the Great Commission. This is after his uh, crucifixion. <clears throat> He's resurrected. Now he comes back to talk to the disciples. And in verse 18 it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So God gives, uh, excuse me, God gives his authority to his son. He gave all of his authority. God the Father gave all of his authority to the son. And now he is the Lord of Lords. He is the Lord of the church. And then it follows in verse 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So number seven God commissions his church with his authority. He commissions his church with authority. And we call it our great commission. Now, considering the authority of God in the, uh, in the gospel of Matthew, he gives us this commission since the beginning of time. It's a great commission. Now, the church has a 2,000-year-old commission. And the Bible says that when all of the Gentiles, the number of Gentiles have been reached, Jesus Christ will come again. Prophecy says that when, when the word of God has, pre has been preached all over the world and everybody has had an opportunity to... to uh, to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, then he, then he will return. Now, a 2,000-year commission, and some of, the, some of the countries in the world still are without a gospel. Now, I don't know about you and how you would define a 2,000-year commission that is unfinished with all of the authority of heaven behind it. I would call that a failure. I would call that, at best, a shortcoming. All authority. And then you think about how hard it was back in those days to, to get around. I mean, they either went by ship, and it took many days on the ship. Uh, they either went by horseback or walking across the desert, across the field. Now we have airplanes that can go from one side of the world to the other within 24 hours in most cases. And, and the world is still 
uh, all of the world still hasn't heard all of the gospel. To let you hear my heartbeat, I'm going to share something with you that I'm not up here boasting about. It's only by the grace of God. I went to Columbia International University. I understand that Ferguson had a, has a lot of uh, connections with Columbia International University in, in uh, taking groups there. <clears throat> when, I went back, when I went there back in the uh, mid-90s, mid uh, they were the number one mission-sending church in the whole United States. If a mission organization wanted to find missionaries, they would go to Columbia Bible College, now known as Columbia International University. In the early 80s, 80s the Southern Baptists had a, a conservative resurgence, and uh, in that resurgence, they took the seminaries out of the hand of the liberals who didn't believe the word of God and put it back into the conservatives' hands. And towards the, uh, towards the middle, uh, middle of the 1990s, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, the seminary that I went to, was another one of the leading missionary uh, uh, sending universities uh, around the United States. Now, I say that because I went to Columbia and I went to Southeastern, <clears throat> which means in the early, uh, early 90s, mid-90s, I was right in there during the time that they were the most uh, popular schools to go to for missionaries. The school had a missionary focus, meaning that I was studying to be a pastor. And I felt like I was kind of the outsider because they were pushing missions and teaching missionaries and te teaching, mission uh, teaching about missionaries so much uh, that I felt, well, man, am I on the wrong track? Should I be doing something different than, than becoming, a, uh, becoming a pastor? And so in my mindset... I said, well, I'm either going to have to be a missionary that goes or I'm, going to have to, or I'm going to have to be a pastor that is in leadership to sin. Either way, I thought it was my responsibility as a pastor or as a missionary to either go or to sin. And so when I got out or when I was in uh, Bible college, my uh, professor was uh, Dr. Belcher. And uh, he started a missions group that's uh, called Evangelizing India for Christ. I went with him in 1996. And uh, that was my first trip. We went to Calcutta. I was able to preach in William Carey's pulpit. I went to see uh, Mother Teresa's orphanage while I was over there. And uh, that was kind of the start of, uh, of my missions endeavor. I did other things, but India just kind of stayed on my... Uh, Stayed on my heart and on my radar. And uh, after seminary, I started back with Evangelizing Any for Christ. And I went every single year uh, for, the, for the past uh, several, several years. I had some health issues about two years ago. And so, uh, and so I haven't been in about two years. And uh, not sure if the Lord's leading me back to go again. Um, or whether he uh, wants me to do something different. But I'm certainly praying about it and asking God for his, uh, his direction. Now, when I came to Savannah in 2002, uh, I felt like the Lord was calling me to the city and not to the church because I didn't have a church, and I was moving to Savannah by faith. And I started uh, uh, 
preaching at Wilder Memorial Baptist Church, which is over there on the Geechee Road, uh, just past the old. It's called it's the Planet Fitness and the trampoline jumping place just down the road from there. I uh, was there for about five years, and then I started working bivocationally uh, with an organization here in town called His Love Ministries, which goes to prisons and orphanages and, and uh, uh, homeless shelters and transition centers and nursing homes. And, uh, and I was just excited. I just wanted to preach. As a matter of fact, I was a bivocational working at the Colonial Oil down on the ports, and I was, it was midnight, and I was walking around one of the oil fields, and I was like, God, this is not what I went to seminary for. And I said, if you, uh, he said, if you would allow me to preach, I will preach to anybody that you put in front of me, and I will preach to them until Jesus comes if I have to. And through that, God opened the door for his love ministries, and, uh, and I started to preach. And I was preaching, and I'm not boasting, but I was preaching eight sermons a week, and I did it for eight years straight because I just wanted to preach. God has given us his authority. He has given us a commission. I wanted to trust God in his authority, and I wanted to go. And I went to India, uh, anywhere, that I, anywhere that God would lead, any God, where God would send, uh, that's, where, that's, where I was, uh, that's where I was willing to go. I still feel guilty at times, and I believe there's a, there's a uh, missionary here in our, in our bulletin that I was reading today. Um, Kendra, Kendra Stanford uh, with World Horizons in India and you know her, I know that uh, but she's a female and she's going to India and she's going to northern India northern India is I mean the farther north you go the, the closer you get to, to radical Islam and uh and I went one time to Mysore, in India, uh, which is which is uh, uh, in the in the middle. If you Mysore, if you ever go to Mysore, go to India, you want to visit Mysore. Uh, Mysore is the place where they have a parade every year, and everything is directed uh, uh, decorated like it's Christmas time. Lights on all the houses. They decorate their elephants. They put a big blow-up elephant on top of the elephant. That's their God. And they have this parade of gods, and they march down the street. And everybody from America that goes to India, they got to go to this parade. I've never been to it. not interested in seeing it. But, uh, but it's the parade of gods. Very staunch, radical Hinduism. Well, I had to go in there one time. And uh, when, you, when you read the voice of the martyrs, when you read something about somebody being martyred or killed, they come from that area as well as up north uh, where, where, where Kendra is. And the organization, Evangelizing Indy for Christ, says, listen, I have, a, I have a special assignment for you. And I said, I want you to know this is a radical in, uh, a Hindu. And I said, we just need to go in and get some information from the pastors, and I want you to train them while we're here. And so I don't want you to evangelize in the streets. I don't want you to uh, talk to anybody. He says, we just need to get to these pastors. And so I want you to fly over there. I want you to go to the hotel. They're going to meet you at the hotel. I, we've got a room, a conference room down there. I said, I just want you to train the pastors for a week. I want you to get back on the bus. I want you to get back on the, on the plane, and I want you to come home. And I said, it's for your safety. We want you to be able to raise your, your children and all. And so we went, and we did, and I went in there, and, uh, and I came back out, and I was, I was coming through the airport. They were checking my bags, and I had videotaped all of my sermons that week. And uh, I was getting a little bit nervous. 
thought maybe they would tell me to play the video back, and they got my camera, and they looked at me and said, what is this? And I said, that's my camera. I said, I went to the safari and everything, and I said, I took some pictures of the elephants and the lions and all that kind of stuff, and I uh, just want to take it home and show my kids. He's like, okay, and he put it back in the bag, shoved it in the luggage, and sent me on. Uh, that's the most dangerous thing that I've ever done in, in my whole entire life. And it was just one week, and they told me to be quiet, get in there, and get out. And here I'm looking at Kendra, who was living over there every single day for I don't know how long, desiring to teach the gospel, desiring to preach the gospel, desiring to reach the lost in India who probably haven't heard as much as, as we have. And, uh, and I look at somebody like that and, and, and then look at myself and feel like, you know, am, am, I, am I exercising my faith in such a way where I'm trusting the authority of God? I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to be derogatory or step on any, anybody's toes. And and I don't know what ministries that you have here. I'm going to try to choose one that's not here, so I don't offend anybody. <clears throat> but are you trusting God's authority as much if you're a coach at a basketball camp here as compared to being like Kendra and going to India? You know, God has given us. His authority, all of the authority of heaven and earth has been given to us, commissioned us to go, and we're going to run basketball camps rather than going to India and some of these unreached places in the world. Jesus, Jesus gives us an example. Let's turn to uh, John chapter 19. In John chapter 19, Jesus is standing before Pilate, and Pilate turns to Jesus and he says, listen, he says, don't you know that I have the authority to arrest you and crucify you or set you free? And Jesus says in verse 11, Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Now listen to, listen to Jesus. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. He's confronted by an earthly king. And he says, don't you know that I have authority? And Jesus' response is, you don't have any authority except the Father gives me. You know that your days have been ordained. There's a number of days. And you're not going to die before that day. And you're not going to die after that day. You're going to die exactly on that particular day. So if you want to go to India or you want to go to an unreached people group in this world... You don't have to have any fear because God has already determined your days, and it might be 10 years from now. And so if you go to an unreached people group and you go to a hard location, you don't have to worry about death because God has already determined the day that that's going to occur. Right? And if it's not, if it's not determined that you die on that particular day, ISIS has no authority over your life whatsoever. None. Remember Paul? Uh, Paul was confronted well, by some enemies, and he says, listen, he says, if, if you kill me, I go to be with the Lord. If you don't kill me, I'm going to stay here and serve the Lord. So now you have a decision made. Either kill me or get out of my way. Right? And that's the attitude that we should have. That's the attitude that we should have. We should walk out of that door right, right there tonight with a boldness of the word of God, 
go out to our neighborhoods, go out to our family members, go overseas, go anywhere that God leads you, proclaim the gospel with authority, and if they get in your face and tell you that you need to stop, you need to say, listen, if you kill me, I'm going to be with the Lord. If you don't kill me, I'm going to stay right here and serve the Lord. So I win either way. So you make the decision because I got, I got a Jesus to serve. That's the attitude that we have. That's, that's believing in and accepting the fact that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That all authority in heaven has been given to you and I here in the church with a great commission to go out into the world and win people for Jesus Christ. And so I ask you these questions. What is your appropriate response to God's authority? What is your appropriate authority? Now, the older I get, the more I realize there's less I can do. And so for some, it is vacation Bible school. For some, it is the prayer room. Maybe you can only pray. I know I had this dear saint. I don't remember his name, uh, but he was a longtime pastor. He was over at Curtis Baptist Church in, uh, in uh, Augusta, Georgia. And of the sweetest people you ever met. And the pastor had a... Uh, had a stroke, and he could no longer uh, preach or teach anymore. I went over to his house. I took the single adults over there to have a, a fellowship dinner, a, a snack time kind of a thing. His, his wife welcomed us in. Uh, he sat at the table and I asked his wife, I said, should, he, should I let him lead a Bible study? He's, he's like, no. He said, he really, can't, he really can't do that anymore. And I said, okay. I said, his home I just wanted to, I wanted to offer. He said, now he does pray. And if you have any prayer requests, definitely give it to him. And he had a Rolodex. Remember the old Rolodex where he kind of rolled it and he had all these cards that kind of flipped? Uh, he had a Rolodex filled up with prayers. And with a stroke, a pastor, he'd get up every single morning and he would pray through his Rolodex. And I said, let, let me sign up for that. Right? So we all have limitations, but we need to trust the authority of God in our life to make sure that our response to God's authority is the right response to his authority is our faith response question number two is our faith response to god equal to his promised authority to us are we attempting things for god that we will have to depend on god's authority and when you think about authority you have one authority going against another authority and there's a combat uh there's there's a uh, resistance occurring Right? I, don't, I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe it's the public school system. Right? Maybe they're telling you to be quiet, and maybe you don't need to be quiet and you need to speak up. It might cost you your job. It might cause you a lot of problems. You might get written up a couple of times, but do you believe in God's authority? Do you believe that he has a higher authority than what those authorities in the school has? Maybe it's the government. Maybe it's calling up your senator or congressman and going to him and confronting him with the gospel. Is that going to require trusting in the authority of God? Yes, it will require. Maybe it's going to a foreign country. You know what the definition of a closed country is? A closed country is a country that they believe if you go there, you're going to lose your life. Paul never used that terminology. Paul would never say that there's a closed country. You know what he said? Death awaits me in every city. Right? There's not a closed city. There's not a closed door. There's not a closed nation. Right? God has given us authority. You know why we haven't reached all the nations in the world? Because we haven't, cho we haven't chosen to. We haven't willingly followed God and trusted in his authority. 
So are we doing anything that would require God's authority? Do we even need it? I think we would all acknowledge that we do. Now, how far are we going to go in trusting his authority? Great church. 25 missionaries I think you all support. Great job. Great church. I think you're right where you need to be. I'm just stretching you a little bit farther, and maybe more of you be willing to go. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for the authority that you have, for the authority that you have given Jesus Christ, and for the authority, the commission that you have given us, a great commission because it is backed by great authority, the authority of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray uh, that tonight, Lord, as the, the word of God says, uh, to spur one another on to good deeds. And if we're a, a Westerner or a cowboy or a horseback rider, uh, we know what spurring means. And we're to spur one another wrong. And so I hope I spur gently tonight. And, uh, but yet, Lord, I pray, uh, Lord, that, uh, that we would be moved by your spirit and by your word tonight, Lord. Challenge us in a, in a greater way. Uh, to trust your authority, the authority that you have provided the church. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.